Hey clones, when you're working from home or you're working on your fitness, you want to make sure that what you're listening to is what you're listening to and not what your roommates or neighbors or a significant other or kids are listening to. Everybody needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you go dropping hundreds of bucks on a pair, make sure you check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Now, you already know that Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market. But they sound just as amazing as the other top audio brands that you know of. Now, check this. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are their best ones yet. Six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. They're amazing. And they're so comfortable, they're perfect for conference calls or binging podcasts. All those things together... Plus, the price and the value make them a game changer for me. And unlike some of the other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet. There are no dangling wires or stems to distract anybody during video calls. Now is the time to get the latest and the greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash Rome. Again, buyraycon.com slash Rome. Get 15% off. I've got my pair. Get yours. Buyraycon.com slash Rome. So let's just say on a low note, 15 of those guys test positive. Now they're gone for two weeks. So now does that team forfeit the next two weeks? How do you think that's going to go? You got to stay six feet of people. Two people can shower at a time. Your lockers are got to go every other locker game. Well, that's all great, but you get on the field, all those rules go out the window. Yo, yo, what's going on? Welcome to episode 135 of... The original side hustle, the Jim Rome podcast. My guest this week is the pride of the 909, Rancho Cucamonga's own Eric Weddle, E-Dub. Just put the bow on an epic 13-year NFL career that, of course, started in San Diego and ended in Los Angeles. But he would tell you his favorite years were in Baltimore, just like he would tell you that he left absolutely everything out there and has no regrets about walking away when he did. Eric Weddle, to me... Is truly one of the great guys in all sports, and I am thrilled to get caught up proper with him on his second trip back to the long-form pod. I've got a lot of ground to cover with the six-time Pro Bowler, so let's not waste even another minute. Let's get right into it. Episode 135 with Eric Weddle starts right now. So, Eric, it's been a minute since you and I have spoken, and in fact, since you've announced your retirement, which I'll get to in a minute, but first things first, how are you and your family doing during this really unusual time now? Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on, Rome. It's always it's always a joy to come in and do an interview with you. I was just explaining to some friends how much I enjoy and look forward to an interview with you because you do your research, you prepare and usually the questions and the things we talk about are challenging, and it, and it makes my answers uh, more insightful. So thanks for having me back on. And right now, I mean, it's it was a whirlwind. I'm not going to lie. You know, you never, you never take for granted just the daily life, the daily routine, seeing friends, interaction, people, uh, being able to get out of your house and for me, it, it was like tenfold of an adjustment. I mean, I retire in January, uh, get a great routine going January and February, uh, take the kids, get up, get the kids ready for school, make them breakfast, drop them off, 
And then, you know, from 8.30 to about 2, I'm open. I can go work out if I want to. I can go play basketball. I can go work on my golf game. You know, whatever I wanted to do. And then, bam, that all gets taken away, and I'm stuck at home uh, trying to be a great dad. But now I have to be a teacher to my four kids at distance learning. And let me tell you, man, it was it was a struggle. Uh, it was it was uh, I had some good days and some hard days that going from, you know, 16 years of having purpose every day of what your day is about to look forward to and what you're working towards to now being thrust to staying at home and, and trying your best to do and to fill the needs of your kids. But we got through it and, you know, things that are looking, looking up in, in the sense. And, uh, you know, we are healthy. We, uh, take the, the heat of what, the CDC has said and, and we're the respect of other people and try to take care of, of the people that need it. And, you know, we're making the best and, and we could be in a lot worse situations. And we're just hoping that, you know, people all know how serious this is and, and respect other people. And if you're sick, stay home. And if you're out and about and you're in a group of people, wear that dang mask and, and stay safe. It's nice. So respect that response. I so respect that response because that's so honest and so real and so candid and it's so true. And going back to your first point, Eric, I so respect you and our relationship. I always look forward to this conversation, too, and I appreciate you making time for it. It's so good to have you back. You know, in terms of what what you're dealing with, and I would imagine that when you give to what what you've given to it and your entire life as an athlete— you know, starting from the very beginning, it's going to take some time to process this. I can't imagine you turn that on and you turn that off and you're starting to learn to live with it right now and then all hell breaks loose. But in terms <laughs> yeah. of living with this, you know, it might not be your only identity, but what's it been like not being that guy? I mean, you are your own man, but you're not necessarily that guy who's still doing those things that made you that guy. What has that adjustment been like so far? Yeah, I mean, it was... You know, I, I I always tell people, and we've we've talked about this before. Like football doesn't define me; uh, doesn't define who I am as a man and as a husband and as a father and how I treat people and and how I act. And but that doesn't that doesn't mean that a lot about who I am and what I've learned and how how some of the traits I am with toughness and mentally thinking you can get through anything and and the hard work and the preparation, all all those traits that you've learned to to hone in over your career that's still part of you so uh the the drive the relentless mindset to be the best and and what it really takes to try to get to the top and stay there like that those are obsessive qualities that uh, you know not many people have you know you have it certain guys in the nfl at sports corporate you know if you want to be great at something it it takes a lot and then you, you, it was time for me, right? I don't, I don't miss the game, not one bit. I miss the interaction. I miss my teammates. Uh, but I don't miss, like, I see guys doing drills. I see guys, like, running and jumping and doing all these crazy things. I'm like, I get sick to my stomach thinking of doing that because my knees, my back, my hips, everything, just, I, I, you know, I can barely do that stuff just casually, you know, playing basketball with my son, thinking about getting ready for a season makes me sick to my stomach. And so I know, I know the timing was right, but you're not, you're not prepared for the next step in a sense that you're, you're stuck at home 
and you you have nothing to really look forward to in a sense like I don't want people to get the idea like you know I don't like being a dad or I don't like being at home with my kids like that's not the case it's it's the mindset for 16 18 plus years of date max college everything that you did was selfishly about yourself right it was selfishly what what do I need to get done today so six months from now, I'm the peak and ready to dominate on the football field. And now when you don't have that singular purpose, you gotta, you got to uh, change your mindset and, and change those avenues to give you some purpose uh, throughout the day. And really, it's, it's, a, it's a day-to-day process. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I have a lot of good days, but there are some, some days where I'm unmotivated. I don't feel like I'm doing much. Uh, you know, much purpose and and trying to make a difference. But, you know, that's why you have a great support system and my wife and looking at my kids. And and now I'm slowly turning that focus of of doing more for them. You know, it's not about me anymore. It's about how can I help them in the school? How can I help them with sports and activities and play dates and stuff like that? So that's it's it's transitioning towards that. But it, it hasn't been as easy as I envisioned. Yeah, right. I mean, that, that is so profound to me, and that's kind of what I expected you to say, Eric. That's why I said it's got to be a process. That can't be easy. You've spent your entire life working a certain way, pushing yourself a certain way. People around you understand that and who you are. And it brings me back to another one of my favorite topics that I never really get a clear answer to. Like, people answer the question, but I'm not sure about this. That thing that you were talking about, that that relentless drive to be great, to push yourself, to always be relentless in your pursuit of greatness. I'm kind of curious because, and Kyle Whittingham talked about that. Like when he first recruited you, he knew you were one of those guys. Were you always one of those guys? Like, are you wired that way? Did you develop that? Why are you that way? Well, I think, I think early on, uh, I just loved competing. I loved in a sense, dominating the guy across from me, whether it was in basketball, whether it was in baseball, striking someone out, uh, trying to hit off the best pitcher or in football, every snap I was trying to kill the guy in front of me and to prove that I'm the man, right? And it was always uh, something that drove me was proving people wrong. I mean, I from from the get-go, I was always told you're too slow, you're, too, you're not fast enough, you're not tall enough, this, 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 and that. Everyone else is better than you, blah, 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 blah. And you take that and you put it in the part of your brain and you, and you reach for it when those times are tough or when you're tired or when you're, when you're working, when you're waking up at four thirty in the morning in the NFL and knowing without a doubt that no one else is up at that time, getting work in, watching film, getting a lift in, lifting every day, rehabbing, staying late, like no one's out. So when I'm out there on Sundays, I already know how it works. The guy across from me, Right. And then it's all the extra stuff that in the instincts and the athletics and all that other stuff is on top of it. But I just think the, you know, I got one chance to be great at something and I got one chance to live my dream out. Right. Like how many people in the world can say, I get to live my dream every single day that I wake up. So if I don't have a smile on my face and if I'm not willing to get every ounce of effort and energy out of this body and mind, to be great at this because I get to freaking live my dream. Well, then I am, I'm doing a disservice to myself and a disservice to my wife and kids. And I don't even respect myself. So 
when people say they're they're happy with being good or average or have a good career, like I don't I don't want any part of you. I don't want to be around you. If you don't want to be the best at it, then then we have we have a problem initially. We we have a problem, a fundamental problem about life, about being the best. And I think as I got older and and really honed in and, and really singulared my focus on that, then everything else took care of itself. I think the very best in any walk of life would tell you the exact same thing, that they're not asking you to do anything that they haven't done themselves. I think that the late Kobe Bryant was known for that. Mm. And Eric, obviously you're a huge, huge Laker fan. In fact, let me ask you about Kobe for a minute. Like athlete to athlete, great athlete to great athlete. When you think of Kobe, what comes to mind? And when you found out the terrible news about him, what went through your mind? Yeah, I mean, obviously we were all... We were all taken back. I mean, I first got the the notice, you know, the little thing that pops up in her phone, the TMZ said, you know, Kobe helicopter crash. And I was like, yeah, right. Like, first of all, TMZ, you never know about that. And then you wait around, you wait around, and nothing really was filing in of news outlets, right? Like, nothing was, was backing up the statement. So I'm like, okay, you know, it must be false, must be false. And you know, mind you, I, I I grew up watching the Lakers since I was five years old with my dad. Every night they were on on KCAL nine in the living room. Like that's what my dad and I did together. My dad worked construction his whole life. Like he was tired, and at the end of the night, all he wanted to do was watch his Lakers, and that's what I grew up doing. And when we got Kobe, and obviously I was a big Shaq fan, but when we got Kobe in '96, that was that was the guy I wanted to be like. And then as he got older, I got older, and it was almost like he was a few years older than me, but our, our careers and, and uh, you know, the way he carried himself, just his work ethic, the mama mentality. I mean, a lot of who I became and uh, who I was as a, as a player and a teammate derived from Kobe and, and how he carried himself and how he worked and, and the way he talked and the way how he respected the game, respected his elders. I mean, that's what you wanted to do. So when I heard it and saw it, I was devastated. I mean, with death personally with me, uh, I'm pretty cut and dry with it. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sad. I don't get real super emotional about it. Like that's life, right? You, you're trying to get the best out of this life. You try to learn. We all make mistakes and death happens. It's going to come for us all and you move forward, right? You move on. But Kobe, I mean, it was just so tragic, and so I mean, he was he was ready to do more great things post career than he did than he than he ever did on the court, and it, and that was being shown in light, and that's just the unfortunate part. And then all the craziness has happened since. I mean, geez, you know, this guy goes leaves leaves this earth, and and the whole world goes to shambles. Hmm. Yeah, there's something to that, Eric, I think. You know, and then uh, you take that Mamba mentality or that mindset, that mindset that you and I talked about and how you literally, you couldn't live with yourself if you didn't do everything you possibly could to get everything out of every opportunity that you had. And this was like not just your approach to the game, but really a mindset and a lifestyle. But I think there's another level to this. For instance, how much pressure did you feel to make the necessary sacrifices to not only get yourself prepared every single week over the course of your career, wherever you played, but to also get those around you prepared? In other words, when did you first start to think it's not enough just to be the best player I can be? I have to do even more. 
I mean, you're 100% right, uh, especially in the game that I was in for, for so many years. You know, basketball can be dominated by just a superior player uh, on the court. I mean, that's, that's just the level of those guys can just dominate the game and affect the game where football, you have those special talents, but if you don't have all 10 of your teammates working together, doing their assignments, uh, you know, communicating about different checks and audibles on the fly, you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't really matter how, how good you are in the sense of, of when you're on the field. And I think I, I finally reached that point around my third or fourth year in the league where I really felt comfortable with the defense. Uh, I trusted myself. I trusted uh, that I knew the ins and outs of the defense. And now I wasn't so much worried about I, what I was doing on the field. I was, I was now more in tune of my teammates and where they were aligned and what they were looking at. And if a guy got out of place on a run and, and a run got gashed out to me, and I had to make that tackle. Then I get back in the huddle. I'm like, hey, I, you know, I'm talking to three technique. Hey, can't get reached right here, man. Like, just hold that edge and we're, we're you know, send it back to the linebackers. Like, that's where you take that next step mentally, where you can now coach your guys up on the field. And then it's it's just taking the onus and, and the preparation, everything that makes you great as an individual. How are you going to share that light to the to the young guys and to the guys that are sharing the field with you? Because as great as I can be on the field, if I don't raise the level of my teammates and try to make them play at a higher level, it it's just never going to work, and you're never going to be the defense that you want to be. And uh, it took some time. You know, my career didn't didn't start and get to the where I wanted to as fast as I thought it would be. But those first couple years of going through that adversity and you know having your struggles and hearing the naysayers and hearing the fans and media that, that want you out. And why did we trade these, trade all these picks to get this guy? He's not who we think. Like as soon as you, you mentally grasp that your circle, whoever's in that circle, that's who you worry about, right? That's, that's your focus. That's who you worry about, what they say, what they think, the love that, that those are the people that care about you. Everyone else on the outside is irrelevant. It, they don't mean anything. And as soon as I really took heed of that, and that was that going into my fourth year, I said, I'm, I'm going to stop caring about what people think. I'm going to stop caring about what people, you know, whether they like me or not. Like, we're humans. We, we all want to be liked, right? Uh, but that's just not the case. No matter how well I played or how bad I played, people are going to like me. They're going to not like me. So as soon as I got through that, and got over that hurdle, man, my game, my life, everything just got in line and it took off from there the rest of my career. Man, it's so important, right? And some people never actually get there. Some people never actually figure that out. And then there's that response to adversity. Like I've seen this, you know, my entire career. In fact, not just with athletes, but myself and business overall. Like if you tell somebody you suck, you suck, you suck, you're no good, you're not worth it. Some people will hear that and say, maybe they're right. They probably are right. And then others will hear that and convert that into fuel. And still some convert that into rocket fuel. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. Like I think that some people 
would look at your career and say, oh, that's a Charger. That's a Charger. I've got great memories of him with the Chargers. And again, put aside how you may feel, and that's documented how that went there. But fans would look at you and say, that is a Charger. I would imagine you look at yourself in your career and think, man, I'm a Raven. I'm a Raven through and through. You only played three years there. What was it about those years that made that some of the best years of your life and your career? Why did your time there mean so much to you? Yeah, I mean, it was just a, a point in my career that that I was lucky enough to experience a different organization and, and being a part of an organization that is top-notch. I mean, the owner uh, is not, it's not uh, what's the word? It's it, it makes a lot, not makes a lot of sense, but it, it shows a lot about what the owner is and what he's all about when he's the only one so far who's, who's been out in front line of, you know, supporting the black lives of this country and supporting his players. And, you know, that shows you what he's about. I mean, he's personal, he's self-made, he wants to win Super Bowls and, and will do it at all costs. Right. And to be wanted again in your career, like we all want to feel appreciated. We all want to be respected and we all want to feel that we're important. And, and that's what Baltimore gave me. I mean, they rejuvenated my career. Uh, they gave me a sense of appreciation and also a sense of, man, we lo- we believe in you and we want you for who you are. And, and, man, I just enjoyed every second. I mean, moving from California to Baltimore, not only did we sell our house in California, we bought in Baltimore. We lived there year-round because we had three kids in school full-time. So, I mean, we, we lived there for three years, year-round, and, and the Weddles go in – a hundred percent, no matter what they do, we go all in and we loved every second of it. The people, the city organization. I mean, I grew, I have, you know, teammates that, that I'll, that our relationship will last a lifetime, right? Like worry our family for the rest of our lives. And who knows if I would ever got that if, if things didn't end up heading to Baltimore and I had some amazing years in San Diego. Uh, no, no, no one denies that. I don't deny that. Uh, but the way I was treated and the way the things ended and obviously people understand and see it now that I was telling the truth the whole time. But when you get disrespected and you get lied about and you, and your name on the back of your Jersey gets, gets turned and twisted, you, what do you, what, if you're not going to stand up for, for your name on your back of your Jersey, then what, what are you going to stand up for? So uh, I just look at those years as, as I've never been more happy. And I was in a low point after San Diego. So, you know, I don't, I don't forget many things. And I definitely don't, don't forget uh, being lied, lied to and, and being treated the way I was my last year after giving everything I did for them. So, uh, you know, who knows? Who knows what the future holds? But uh, I had played, you know, amazing 13 years and even my last year at the Rams. I mean, they gave me one, one more, one more crack at it and how grateful I am and the relationships I made there. I mean, I'm super grateful and humbled that they will let this old man tie those cleats on one more season and, and definitely can, can close that book without an ounce of thought of, of ending my career too early. And listening, you played well, and you played through injury. You played through adversity. I know that was not an easy year for you, and you put up numbers. You put up typical numbers, and you played really well. 
you mentioned Black Lives Matter. And when you talk about the movement, Eric, when you look at this, like initially the league and society on the whole were so slow to react and embrace Colin Kaepernick when he protested police brutality and racial inequality. So what do you make of what you're seeing around the nation overall now and now the league's reaction to it? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a sensitive subject, obviously, for still some. Uh, for me, you know, when, when Cap did, you know, did that back, you know, four years ago, it was so it was so like uh, out of the realm, like no, no one really had done something like this. And, you know, the, the the NFL obviously wasn't ready for it. And, you know, looking back, you wish there was a little more support, obviously, uh, you know, m- you know, getting them up more in front of what really the purpose was, even though he did describe it and did say it, like they just weren't having it. And then four years later, it comes the light of the, the, the travesty that is, that has been going on. Uh, you know, I think, to, I think for me, uh, without the relationships that I've gotten with my teammates and really building those, those friendships and really becoming family, uh, I wouldn't have the perspective I have right now of really understanding that black lives matter, all lives matter. But right now black lives in this country are hurting and to, to humble ourselves as white Americans, whatever the case may be to understand that there is a systematic problem in this country that needs to be changed. And they need our, uh, they need our support and they don't need talk. They need action. They need, they need to know that, that we have their back. And if I didn't have these experiences with my teammates at, you know, midnight at night during training camp, and we're talking going back and forth about how we grew up and where we grew up and, you know, having guys tell me experiences of playing football games growing up and not being able to play a certain town that they or neighboring towns for fear of their lives, right? Like I grew up in Southern California. I never really seen or experienced uh, racism at, at any matter, right? Like I have friends of all races, religions, colors, uh, but to hear that and to feel that emotion from a guy that I care deeply about, it hurt, right? It hurt to hear this. Uh, from numerous teammates. And then as time goes on, you get older and more mature and you, you really start thinking outside of yourself and really understand that these, these people are hurting. Uh, it's easy to, to stand up for what is right. And at the end of the day, humanity and people should not get treated the way they get treated in all realms of life. It's not just police brutality. It's, it's bigger than all this. You know, just by the color of your skin, you should not be treated differently than me. And, you know, when you know that deep down in your heart that that your brothers and sisters are hurting, then it's easy to stand up and say, I support you and I got your back and I'll need you. If you need me, I'm there for you. It's easy to do that. And I don't, you know, when some people still start, still fight that, that aspect of it, it's, it's hard for me to understand that. I mean, people are hurting out there and just. Put your step forward, take a leap of faith, and and go make a difference. It's extremely well said. In fact, so well said. I've got nothing to add to that. I agree with literally everything you just said. I agree with everything you just said. 
And I'm just moving around now with respect to your time, and it's so good to talk to you again, Eric. No, you're good. In terms of uh, COVID-19, like, you know the guidelines for a return to training, practicing, (laughs) playing. I mean, all these things that have to happen. It's insane, right? So knowing everything you know and knowing everything that goes into it when everything's right, what are your expectations for the NFL season? Is there any way this can be done? Rome, you know me. I speak the truth, right? And it's the whole COVID and 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 I'm not I'm not into the whole like uh, you know what's I'm, I'm missing the word like the you know you hear the news so honestly like I don't know anybody that's ha- I've had you know I had one teammate last year that was on IR that got it and he said it was like a typical flu he was in bed for like a day day or two he lost. Uh, smell and taste for a week and then he was fine right so that was really my personally only experience right I don't know anyone other than that or know someone that knows someone that has had it right but that doesn't mean that people aren't dying across the world and especially in our country that they get it so uh, it's it's just a weird weird dynamic right like the whole country gets shut down uh, I think they you know the the rush to 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 make these decisions i think were too fast in a sense uh really not seeing what are we dealing with but that's in the past it doesn't matter at this point so moving forward on the football season i i don't know like these requirements and i read through the the basketball and that's great like they can do all this stuff you can hunker down in a hotel for a month and a half i mean they're playing you know, eight games and then the playoffs. So you're talking a month and a half. You can't do that in the NFL, right? You can't, you can't just put a team players for six months in a hotel and not see anybody, right? Like it'd be much easier for a guy who's married with kids. Okay. Yeah. Like I go to work, I go home. It's pretty simple. You know, maybe one night a week I I get together with the guys I take them out to dinner. We watch some film together and maybe Saturday, Saturday before a game, we may, may go watch a movie, but you're talking about guys that may majority are single who want to go out, want to live their lives. And now how are you going to control what happens once you leave the facility every day? Right? Like you can't. So I don't know. I don't know the direction that they're going. I think kind of in a sense, the NFL and the owners are living in a dream world where they just keep thinking and keep saying, like, if I keep thinking the season's going to happen, it's going to happen. I, I keep thinking that fans are going to be in the stands cheering us on, it's going to happen. Well, I don't think that at all. I don't, honestly, I don't think the season's going to start on time. I think it's, at best, it'll get pushed back. Uh, and I just don't know, like, how are you going to, okay, let's just say, like, Baltimore, for, for example, okay, like, uh, you know, a player, a, a important player on their team gets COVID week four, okay? So now he's out two weeks, right? You can't just treat it like the flu, like they want to treat it like the flu. It's, it's not the case. You got you to gotta, you gotta put him away for two weeks, okay? Now you got to test the entire team and the coaches and everyone else, okay? So, so let's just say on a low note, 15 of those guys test positive. Now they're gone for two weeks. So now does that team forfeit the next two weeks? Right. Right. Like, like how, how do you think that's going to go? So I honestly, I, I don't, I don't see how, uh, 
I don't see how they're going to get through all those instances. Like you got to say six feet of people. You can only two people can shower at a time. Your lockers are got to go every other locker. Okay. Well, that's all great, but you get on the field, all those rules go out the window. So what's really the point of doing all that stuff before you get on the field? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like you can't, you can't distance ourselves once we get on the football field in the huddle when you're lined up across the man that you're going to go try to stop, like that's, that's just not going to happen. So I'm interested to see, I mean, I'm just like a fan, like everybody else. I want football to be back, but I also uh, think logically of how I know how it works. I know the daily routine and the guidelines and all this stuff that they're trying to say that you have to do is just, it's not going to happen. I agree with you. I mean, I, I couldn't want this any worse than I do right now as a fan, as somebody who's in the business of content. I, I really would like this, but <laughs> to all the points you just made, and the fact is the NFLPA even is saying, we don't want you guys training together. If they can't train together right now, <laughs> camp hasn't even opened yet, the hell are you going to have a season? Like, I, I, I hope, I hope, I hope, but... I have the same sort of questions you do. Like, Eric, so yeah. is you, and th- this is such a good conversation that, that I can just keep moving topic, topic, topic without following yeah, because you're covering, you're covering everything. But, like, did <laughs> you look back on your career, 13 years, six Pro Bowl bursts, 29 career INTs, you left absolutely everything out there, you put the team first always wherever you went, but as you look at your individual career, do you have the Hall of Fame in the back of your mind? Do you allow that? Uh, you know, I... I- I don't really put myself uh, in the in the moment of thinking like, uh, you know, do I deserve it? Do I not? That that'll be decided by much smarter people than me. Uh, I just know like when you when you when you get down to it, I was a difference maker just like most guys, right? Played for a long time, which you have to do, uh, but not many guys. And I'm pretty proud of this. Not many guys in the entire league, let alone the safety, uh, wore the green dot, which means I had the coach communicating the calls to me. I called the defense. And by doing that, was on leading two number one defenses in the league on two different franchises. So I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, All the stats and all the game-changing plays, I mean, that's apples to apples. I mean, there are so many amazing players in this league, amazing safeties, DBs that, that aren't in, that should be in. So I'm not going to get into all that. But what separates me from everybody else is I ran the show, and I did it, and not many people can say they did that and and had, was a part and and called the defense for their for their defense. So who knows what happens. I gave it my all, and, and – uh, you know, the, the Hall of Fame is, a, is a, a select, amazing group. And, you know, would it be an honor? Of course. I mean, you don't play this game not to try to be the best. But it's not it's not up for, like, myself to say if I am or not. Like, you know, that'll, be, that'll happen if it does. And we'll see if it does. You bet. You obviously you can't concern yourself with things that are out of your control. And that's farther down the road, and we'll see. And certainly there's an argument there. I could certainly make that same argument that you're making for yourself right there. You know, like when you – we talked about how when you went to Baltimore, it was a new opportunity, and you were rejuvenated by that, and they wanted you, and they cared for you, and they respected you. In that sense, the grass was greener. 
What do you think about one of your all-time favorite teammates, Philip Rivers? Do you feel like he's going to feel the same way in Indianapolis? And what made him such a great teammate to you? Oh, 100%, 100% without a doubt, he is going to have one amazing season because he's going to a team that invested in their own line and he's going to be protected. So it's going to be, you know, two years ago, he, you know, led the Chargers to 12 and four and, you know, 30 something touchdowns to 10 picks. Like, so one year later, that just automatically, you know, he's the reason. Uh, you know, no, I, I expect him. He's going to, he's a similar situation, right? Like, no one ever thought Phillip wouldn't have ended his career in San Diego, but, you know, it did. And, and you always have to have that in the back of your mind is hope for the best, prepare for the worst. And, and after my time, in San Diego ended, and I, and I always told tell guys that like at the end of the day you got you got to take care of yourself, and you got to understand that the team is always going to do what's best for the team. They're not going to care about you, and it happened to Philip, and he is in good spirits, but he is gonna he's gonna see what what it's like, what it, what other top organizations are like in the culture. One of them, the facilities, just the owner, the fans, everything. Like it's gonna be an eye opener at first and you know what makes what made phil an amazing teammate i mean the minute i got drafted that that following friday i mean excuse me the next day i drove down to san diego and he was just happened to be in the facility and he came up and introduced himself to me and we talked for like 25 minutes and that was my first interaction with philip and then nine years playing together uh on the field, off the field, our kids playing flag football together, uh, barbecues, becoming really close best friends. And what made him just a joy to be around is, one, his competitiveness. I mean, the battles that we used to have every day in practice and training camp were, no lie, like movies. Like, you would you would just want to come to just see the banter of him and I back and forth every single snap of trying to ruin each other's day. <laughs> uh, but at the and then after practice, I mean, we we talk it out what what was good, what was bad, uh, and then move on to the next day because we were we were just trying to push each other to be that much better. Uh, the guy has never said a negative thing, never said a cuss word. Uh, one of the greatest people, men, fathers, husbands that I've ever been around. And when you have that as as a guy, you look up to and strive to be like some of the qualities that he is I'm trying to be like. And he was just a guy that you can count on. And to be there for, always always uh, has an eye on the team and, and the good heartbeat of the team. And, man, I, I just can't wait to watch him this year. I think he's going to do amazing. And they're definitely a team that, that, that should be looked at as a, as a favorite in the AFC. Yeah, Eric, I'll tell you what's amazing. The final thought, and and I'm struck by this as you and I talk right now. You're still a really young man. Like, you've lived yeah. this full <laughs> life, like this amazing life and this full life because I think you roll out of the rack every single morning and you give it everything you have. And, like, I understand that now you're processing what it's like to get to the next thing. And you have a family and you want to be there for your family and you're fully invested in your family. And football's never been the only thing. Like we talked about, that's certainly a large part of your identity, but you're a man first. And probably it's going to take some time to process this. What I'm curious is, how long do you give yourself before you attack the next thing? And do you even know what the next thing is? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I've thought about this. Uh, 
you know, I've had a couple opportunities come up as soon as I retired with different networks about calling games, uh, sideline, uh, being in studio, getting, getting on air. It's like, uh, you know, I, I just, I've, I've given so much selfishly over 13 years that I, I just want to enjoy retirement. <laughs> you know, I want to enjoy just, you know, if I don't work out for a day or if I don't run or if I don't do something, it's okay. I don't have to feel guilty about it. Right. I don't, there's no reason to miss anything of my kids anymore, which, which I hated every year. Like every year when the season schedule would come out, Chanel and I would sit down and we would go through about what, what, what is Eric going to miss? Am I going to be home for Thanksgiving? Uh, am I going to be home for the whole day or only in the afternoons? Cause we have to practice and meet for the first half or am I going to be home for Christmas? I think 13 years, I think eight of the 13, I was never home on Christmas day because I was either playing a game on the road or we were playing the day after the day before. So, you know, everything revolved around my schedule. Now it's irrelevant. Now it doesn't matter what I want. It's what's best for my family. And, and I look forward to that, right? I look forward to just doing those things and, and being there. I'm the new head coach of my son's 12U Pop Warner team. Awesome. So I had to interview for that, which was which was kind of funny but kind of cool. Like, hey, you know, I had to, had to go through that process. And, uh, you know, how long is it going to take? Honestly, I'm not going to do something if I'm not 100% committed to it and wanting to be the best at it. So until my mind is ready for that, it's I'm not going to do anything that that uh, will be subjective of my performance. So uh, whether that's coaching, whether that's, you know, the management side, really, that does intrigue me. Uh, you know, building a team, uh, th- those types of things, what goes into the ins and outs. Uh, but that, then again, I'm gonna, I don't want to leave San Diego, not, especially now when my kids are growing up. So. That's years down the way, uh, but I'm sure something will come up whenever whenever I'm ready to chomp at the bit, and when it does, I'll shoot you a text, and we can get on the horn about it. I love it. I get that. One last bonus thought, because you mentioned, like, hey, look, I'm in a place now that if I don't work out for a day or two, that's fine. I'm not going to sweat that. That's fine. I feel good about that. I have to ask then, like, you were famously known, like, you were going to limit sugar intake no matter what, but if you had a win, we know that you were going to reward yourself with ice cream and a lot of it. What is your approach to ice cream, man? Do you still have to earn it? How how do you incorporate ice cream now into the lifestyle? Well, it, it it goes in phases. Like up until about, geez, probably a month ago, it it was bad. It was like every day I was having ice cream, and it, not just ice cream, but candy and cereal, and it was like, all right, Eric, like, right? you got to you got to reel yourself back in right now. Like you're gonna you're gonna be not in a good place here if you keep this up. So. Uh, then I went a couple weeks without ice cream and, and no candy and tried to try to real, you know, get, get yourself back in shape and just, you know, be somewhat of a, an example to your kids about not eating garbage food all the time. Uh, yeah. And then, and now i got a good routine. Like I eat healthy Monday through Friday and then I have a cheat day on Saturday. So it's, it's something to work for and look forward to throughout the week. And then when the season comes around, I mean, when the Ravens and Rams getting those dubs, man, I want to be celebrating in, in my honor for them. So let's go. Bro, 
I don't want to be this guy, but when the Chargers get those L's, are you going to celebrate with ice cream too? <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, you don't have to no, answer. Like, I'm just playing. You no, know, I, I hope they. I hope they do good too. Uh, I just I not. Know. I'm not I emotionally invested with them, but you know, I still got close friends over there that I wish and still talk to and support them and, and are there for them. But uh, you know, I don't. I don't really. My days don't really uh, care much about what's going on over there. I know this, and I retract that. No, I don't. I was kind of proud of that. No, 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 I'm conflicted. My man, I got to tell you, it, it is such a great conversation. I'm so glad that we could finally do this. And once again, you've done this before. I usually do not double up on the podcast. We try and not double that thing up, but I make the rare exception for an old friend and somebody I care about and that I know can give us that kind of conversation. Dude, much respect, much love. I really appreciate you. I got no problem saying any of those things at this point in my life, and I'm so glad you and I could come together and congrats on an amazing career. And whenever it is you decide what the next thing is, definitely do hit me up so we can talk about that if not sooner you got it bro it's always uh, it's always a pleasure to enjoy and you know always be uh, supporting Rome from wherever I'm at hey clones by hosting my radio show I've learned one thing if one thing only there's not one single thing that we can all agree on except for maybe this breakfast cereal rules am I right Especially growing up, like cereal was one of the best parts about being a kid. Except as you grow up, you start to realize, man, maybe it's not the best thing. It was when I was a kid, but not anymore, because now I know that cereal is good because it's loaded with sugar and junk that I should not be pounding. Like many of you, I've tried to cut down on carbs and sugar and unhealthy grub. I mean, like I know now, I can't just eat what I want when I want. Which brings me back to Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon is what I want and what I need. Check these numbers out. Zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, only three net grams of carbs in each serving. I love it. Myself, I've been hammering the frosted. That's my go-to. And then blueberry. Speaking of go-to, go to magicspoon.com slash Rome. Grab a variety pack. Try it for yourself. Be sure to use our promo code Rome at checkout to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it is backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, and you will, but if you don't, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Magicspoon.com slash Rome. Use the code Rome for free shipping. Magicspoon.com slash Rome. I am pumped that Magic Spoon is a part of this podcast. Just as great as I knew it would be, an enormous thanks to Eric Weddle for all the time and for that extremely open and candid conversation. You could not ask for a better podcast guest than E-Dub. Now, if you enjoyed that, make sure to go tell him about it. He is on Twitter at Weddle's Beard. Make sure you find him there. I'm back next week with another episode, this time with three-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Instead of looking for it, just get subscribed right now while you're here, and then every episode from here on out will automatically ding your listening device you don't have to look for it it will find you as always i appreciate you listening i will catch you next wednesday but before i bust up out of here here are your voicemails first new message hey rome what's up this is david from buffalo i'm calling in about the smack off there were three calls that resonated the biggest to me i Frady right off the top was unbelievable Stevie Carbone was great. That impression of the Paul Feinbaum callers. The smack on Clay Travis was hilarious. And the Cablin Asian with some great sports takes. The Rob Manfred stuff was hilarious. I really enjoyed the old school callers. Mike and Indy to me is like the Jordan Spieth of the jungle. We've seen his best calls already. Message saved. Next message. 
This is Jimmy from Ohio. Great smack off. Man, Left and Laguna and Brad and Corona, neck and neck. But I got to give it to Left and Laguna. It was awesome, awesome, epic smack off. I loved the show. I was hyped and had a few beers and I enjoyed it. Thanks, brother, for keeping us sane in this epidemic time. Thank you. Pieces of silver. Love ya. Message deleted. Next message. Romy, Justin, and Melbourne. You know, some of them clones think I'm crazy for putting down a half a stack of high society on Sarah T. Let me tell you something. Sarah T has a puncher's chance. Just like Bodie in Pearland. He ripped that ticket with that infamous choke job on that chicken wing. Sarah T has got the game. All she needs is that one big line. And I'm all about them lady clones. Go Sarah. Message deleted. Next message. Hey, Jim. Help me out with some of the details the year Snarkbra won the smack off. Was the XR4TI crew locked out of the building? Was there a collar strike the first half of that show? Did you have to resort to the old, Caller 5 wins the smack off this year? Who the hell was the run-up that year? Jim Harbaugh? That must have been a sad year for smack. Message deleted. Next message. Yeah, Jim, this is Toby from Houston. Man, listen, I just tried calling the NBA hotline, and they wouldn't take my calls. Listen, I saw Larry Brown come out of the shower, and yes, he stood in front of me, and yes, his crank was in front of me, but here's what I never told you. He never dried off. He didn't dry off, Jim. That can't be cool. Message deleted. Next message. Yo, what up, wrong? This is Brent in Salt Lake City. I've been uh, listening to Snack Off, and Jeff from Southfield was absolutely funny. I thought maybe he was going to win the Snack Off, and when he called today to make that epic phone call, I just was cracking up so bad. So I went back and listened to your Barry Zito interview, and i got to say, brother, what an amazing interview. I love your content. Keep it up. Balls to the balls. Sign Earl Thomas and his brother. I'm out. Message saved. Next message. Romy, what's up, my boy? It's your boy Joe calling you up from Claremont Mesa East. Actually, you're the first person that I'm going to be telling this breaking news to. My boy Simon, he just went through six months of chemo, and we just received the good news that he is rewarded with the Make-A-Wish Foundation's wish. He's only two and a half, so he really can't speak that well, so... We're going to have to come up with the wish for him. Long story short, he's going to free Jungle Jim in the backyard. And this none of it wouldn't be happening without you because without you, Simon's not born. So shout out to Jim Rome. Shout out to Make-A-Wish. Message saved. You have no more messages.